Hello and welcome to the Surveyor Podcast with James Baker and John Lever. Two chartered surveyors embarking upon a social media journey, locked in a virtual room with nothing better to do than to discuss everything surveying. And something's not. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Surveyor Podcast, uh, which I think is pretty much word for word what I say every time. I must try and find some new intros or something for Well, us. you know, creature of habit and all that, you building surveyors. Mm-hmm. Well, this is it, you know. Um, not used to uh, being creative, so... <laughs> That's right, yeah. Got to put the same phrase in the report every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I, re- I do write all my reports from scratch, John, so uh, there you go. But, um... <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, we're no different than QSCs, are we, with our contracts? So, uh, so yeah, I must find some new intros and new ways of introducing it. I'll try and come up with a, 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 a you know, a, a list of different introductions. Yeah. One what, what of the um, music background or something. One of the other um, podcasts I listen to, a, com- a comedic one, they always start with some sort of um, beatboxing or something at the beginning and they share it around each presenter. I'm not interested, by the way, but you know, it was just. <laughs> I was going to say, um, beatboxing is all, all yours, John. That's going to say it's not going to work, is it? Cool. Okay, Luke, so are you going to watch what we're doing? Anyway, so yeah, so um, this is the, the latest in our series on the uh, RSS rules and the changes to the RSS rules. So we covered off the introduction, really, and a bit of an overview, I think, of, of the five rules yeah. and, and, and then what's encompassed in the appendix. So today we're going to go through rule one, just rule one. Just rule one, yeah. So I think we're going to go through all of them, so ages. And also, we don't want to bore the listener, do we? No, no, indeed. And I think it's nice to do these in bite-sized chunks as well, because the, the other thing uh, I think I mentioned in our introduction to these, what I want to do, and, and this is something I'm, I'm learning about them as I'm going through them anyway, uh, what I want to do is, is draw out, as we're chatting through them, um, draw out what I think either useful for assessors, as in chairs of, of panels, for how I think or what I think you should cover in the rule, um, or what the rule covers for if you need to question it, the assessment, and useful for candidates to think, hold on a minute, if I get these rules coming up in front of me at the assessment, what am I going to be asked? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about... Yeah, and, and, that, and that would be useful for both, both candidates and assessors, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll draw that out as we go along as well, what I think. I mean, again, if anyone's listening and goes, no, that's completely wrong, that's not what it's about, then come and talk to us and put us in the right direction. Well, let's hope that you're not too far off because well, uh, I hope not. interpretation of these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can't get this right, I might. <laughs> anyway, so rule number one. So shall we start with looking at what the actual rule is and then we'll dive into what, and for this, they, each rule has... Um, for those that haven't looked yet, but each rule has example behaviours against them. And this particular rule, number one, has 12. So we will go and look at each one of those individually as well. Um, but let's start firstly with the uh, actual rule itself, which states members and firms must be honest, act with integrity and comply with their professional obligations, including obligations to our ICS. So do you want to kind of just look at this, John, and talk through what you see as being how this impacts yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, I think the first thing to say is we've got to be cautious as you go through these, because when you look at the behaviours, some are members and firms, and most of them are members and firms, but some are just firms as well. So I think when whenever anyone is reading this, just got to keep our wits about us when it comes to that as well. So, um, so yeah, acting honesty and t- integrity. Well, 
we've got our ethical standards, which are still currently um, live at the moment, which is integrity. So it's drawing in the ethics that we've had already. So I don't really see these as any massive new change. There's a few little tweaks and changes, but I think it's just drawing more into what we had before. There's a really useful um, table on the online module that you can go and look at, which talks about, you know, each rule, which rule takes on which other rules that we've had in the past and which ethical standards. So honesty, integrity and professional obligations. So I, I would break those down as, as sort of headings. I think that was my calendar. I've no idea what that was. <laughs> so did you hear that as well? I can't, I can't turn off calendar notifications. If anyone out there is a whiz kid, I can turn everything else off but calendar notifications. So I'll just turn my calendar off. That will, that will hopefully fix it. So, yeah, so, so the table there says honesty, integrity and professional obligations. So this incorporates um, for members rule three, which rule three was about ethical behavior. And for firms, rule three, which was ethical behavior collectively, so professional behavior. Um, rule eight, which was clients money and rule 10, which was advertising. So acting honestly in with integrity. So ethical behavior, professional behavior, that picks up the integrity bit. Um, professional obligations. Um, I think that would pick up. Certainly you've got your clients money regulations, which the RICS publish about how we look after clients money and things like advertising. There was all there's always we're always badgering candidates about, you know, make sure if you're advertising, it's it's truthful, it's correct, it's right. You know, it, it follows the law of the land that you're in and and all these sort of things. So so it, it kind of says it picks up those bits, but then it goes into what we were talking about before, which was Appendix A, and it picks up on um, CBD, information to RICS and cooperation with RICS. So again, we see that in the old rules against members and firms. And then it goes through all the other bits, which is complaints handling, PI, solvency, locums, which is about um, sole principles, practitioners, um, use of designations, which we talked about yesterday. So the regulated by RICS. And then again, talks about information and cooperation. So this this thing comes back round with um, you know as we then start to look at the rules the behaviours of those rules but these rules are also linking us back to these policy documents regulatory documents professional statements so so that's what this rule does so it basically takes on board clients money advertising all of those key things PIC uh, it doesn't interestingly have complaints handling in there um, which um, maybe that just comes under something else um, but at the moment uh, it's not in that one. Um, and uh, and yeah, picks up the integrity ethics that we've had before. Okay, right. Well, let's um, work our way through each example behaviour then. So, starting at the top, we've got a one point one, which is members and firms do not mislead others by their actions or omissions, or by being complicit in the actions or omissions of others. Yeah, well, that's just linking directly into just standard ethical behaviour, isn't it? So, behaviour on the. I always look at firms as a collective of members, if that makes sense. So any behavior that you would expect of a member, you expect of a firm because it's a collective of members. And also, if you're running a regulated firm, then that would mean you need to ensure your staff are trained appropriately who aren't members as well, so that they understand they're the same obligation um, aligns to them. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, that's just all about ethical behaviors, isn't it? So not an awful lot really else to uh, state there. So yeah. 1.2, uh, members and firms do not allow themselves to be influenced improperly by others as a result of, for example, giving or receiving work referrals, gifts, hospitality or payments, or by their own self-interest. 
Mm. I've got I've got a really interesting one. This obviously that's you know throw legislation and stuff out. There's your bribery act. There's your money laundering. There's your you know gifts and hospitalities. Now gifts and hospitality has always been an interesting one because in the past you know it, it said in the ethical standards you must not uh, accept or give any gifts or hospitality. But then we've got legislation out there that says it's okay under the bribery act. What about proportionality? Yeah. Um, and and you kind of go well okay so the ethical standards we have are ethical standards they're not law but the bribery act kind of is um so so that we you know you would follow that in in that context interestingly however later on when we come on to rule three which we're not jumping the gun don't worry when we come on to rule three it talks about if you do pass um any work to anybody or you do suggest to a client oh we're going to use this this supplier or this this other entity or whatever you should ensure that it's you know basically it's looking at conflicts of interest and it's open and transparent so you've got one here that says uh, as a result of so don't, you shouldn't allow themselves to be influenced improperly i don't think it's saying you can't do any of these it just says you shouldn't be influenced improperly. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it comes down to, as you mentioned, the Bribery Act and, and proportionality. And it comes down to considering a lot of businesses will have uh, gift registers and things. Hmm. Um, I, I worked for an employer once and um, all gifts that came in were, were registered and they all went into a pot. So at Christmas, when obviously they tend to happen more so. And then there was a raffle. And what happened was that you could buy a ticket for a pound and you you win something from that, and in doing so, any money that was raised through that went to charity, which I thought was a nice way of doing. Actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and therefore, nobody was improperly influenced by others because it came into the business and it was shared. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I, I, I think as well. What I would say, just thinking about questioning, if I was asking candidates. I think the the um, the question of would you accept a bottle of wine is a little bit out of date now. Um, and frankly, really not a, a useful uh, assessment style question. There's better ways you can ask about gifts and hospitality, because me being me, I, I don't actually drink, but I'd always, I'd always then go, well, well, what sort of wine? Are we talking a four pound bottle of Plonk from Sainsbury's, or are we talking something that's you know a few thousand pounds? Because that, that would influence my decision of whether I was to take it home for my wife or not, because I don't actually drink. And that was always, I, I, I always wish that they would ask me that question because I go, actually, I don't drink, I'm teetotal, so I don't accept bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I never had the opportunity to be that smart in, a, in an assessment, unfortunately, and I just behaved. Well, yeah, I remember earlier in my career, it was very much the thing, you know, contractors would go around and they would, you know, if you'd been working with them during that year, they'd, they'd suddenly turn up with a, boot full of you know cases of wine or something like yeah. that and it was and they dropped them into the office or something and that and it was kind of the thing that, that happened I mean we're going back a long time now but that doesn't tend to it doesn't happen anymore the only things in more recent times that I would have probably been offered would be you know an event hospitality to a, a football match or to the races or yeah. something like that tends to be yeah. more prevalent now than than here have a bottle of wine why, why do you think that is? Because I was the same. I, I had a contractor who didn't drop any wine off. He came around and said, what, what would you like? <laughs> it was just like, 
uh, I don't drink, but my wife really likes this. And it's quite frankly, you know, it's a, I used to always say, I, it was, um, I used to always say to people, well, one, I don't really need anything, but if you really, 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 well, buy me a voucher to Argos or something like that, that I could go and go and utilize rather than the bottle of wine, which is useless to me. Um, but yeah, wh- why has that changed? Do you think, do you think it's the kind of the stigma behind drink driving, dry sight and all that? Because that only came in. Now this is showing my age. I was working on site as a trainee so i would have been 18 so 18 19 and i was working on a building site and and it was around that time i was there for a year in that year it went from a friday afternoon down the pub to dry site and that would have been 1989 mm-hmm. 1989. I, don't know, to be honest. I don't think that's got anything to do i don't know maybe it's just uh... Or do you think it's just it's not enough nowadays and you've got to go to a corporate hospitality thing instead? I think because corporate hospitality has become more desirable, maybe, than a bottle of wine. Wine's readily available um, yeah. in supermarkets and things, and at reason you can get decent bottles for, for not a lot of money these days. Would, and, would maybe, you... and maybe they just don't think it's a grand enough gesture, these, uh, these people who offer them. I don't, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I had a, an old boss who at Christmas used to buy each of the staff a, a case of wine. And he, what, what do you like? And then he'd go and it was a, I tell you, it was a very good wine as well. Mm. I remember one Christmas, I had six bottles of this red wine, if I'm drinking wine, would be my choice. Great bottle, great bottle of wine. You know, just down from Majestic Wines or something, he'd go out there and he'd just buy cases of them and, and, and then he'd hand them out. Um, but yeah, that sort of stuff doesn't tend to... I mean, what, what corporate merchandise-wise, and let's put, put our hats on. So I, I went for the whole single-use plastic um, sort of thing, and we, we created a load of, when we were going out and about, we created a load of these aluminium bottles. So that's the sort of things that I would give out. Um, I wouldn't buy someone a bottle of wine, probably because I'd be worried about buying them a bottle of vinegar, because <laughs> I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought about this, because I, I questioned whether... You know, people who have been good to me during my first year of business, Christmas is coming up, should I, um, you know, give them a little bit of a thank you? And, and what would that look like? Uh, and, and I haven't really come to a conclusion on that, but I've got a few things floating around my head and, and, and there'll be some sort of small gift. Uh, and I've contemplated, should it be some sort of branded? Because I, I, I almost thought when I came to the first anniversary of the business, should I get some merchandise of some description and hand that out to, to yeah. people who... And I didn't, and largely because I just didn't really have the time for it. And, and I thought, well, unless it's something usable and, and re, you know, people, it's just a bit naff and it would be, be a complete waste of, of time and money and uh, yeah. from a sustainability point of view, yeah. a waste as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, there's a, interestingly, and we're kind of digressing from the rules here a little bit. Well, a, a, talk a, about a, wine and gifts, surely. Yeah, well, in um, lockdown, Last year, there was a business set up in Derby uh, called Colleague Box, and they do um, also. So it was basically so people could reward their colleagues and things with a, a bit of a gift, pair them up. You know, everybody's in lockdown, and, and the business has done super well. They've branched out to all sorts of different things now. They're little gift boxes of, of all sorts of different packaged things, you know, um, food, and, and I think they do drinks and stuff now as well. And, and uh, that seems to have been really popular with the business community in Derby and I think probably wider because they've um, their, their business has grown 
hugely in, in, in the year that they've been going or so. Uh, you know, quite frightening how quickly they've grown because it was a thing that people thought, oh, actually, this is quite a nice, nice little reward. It's a nice thank you for yeah. some of their efforts. And it's also a pick-me-up if they're struggling a bit because of the situation we all find ourselves in. Yeah. And, um, and that seems to have been quite a good thing. And maybe that's what will be, you know, people will be looking to... Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it? But I, I think I think it was a, it's an interesting change in this one because, like I say, the the other eth- the ethical standards it was under integrity actually um, said that you must not receive or accept. Yeah, yeah. and I al- always looked at it and said, well, this is this is guidance. This is a code of practices, ethical standards. I will go with what the law says, and that's why I would always say, well, it depends. Um, because it comes down to proportionality, you know, a, a, a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine as a thank you at the end of a project, or a new Tesla. Obviously, the Tesla's a lot more um, more exciting, <laughs> more exciting, and, and more of an inducement. Yes, um, you might find yourself in that situation. No, it would have been even better if it was a Tesla full of boxes of chocolate. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> and the, also the other thing to think about with this as well is. The timing of these things is oh, absolutely. So, if you're working with a contractor that jobs on site currently, it's probably not wise to take a, a gift in any respect yes. um, yeah. from them. Whereas, if you are no longer working with them, you may work with them again in future, but there's no current relationship other than the fact that you know each other and you've had an ongoing relationship. Yeah. Then I don't think there's too much problem, but you've got to kind of take that um, viewpoint at, at the particular time that it's offered yeah. and see whether it's appropriate. Or not. And, um, and I guess we ought to stick our international hats on as well. Um, and say internationally, um, culturally, there is probably a different viewpoint on gifts and hospitality. Absolutely, there will be, yes. I have here in the UK, so yeah. Yeah, which is worth noting as well. For those overseas listeners, and we do have um, a, a handful, I think. Well, who knows? Well, yeah, so... Maybe if we had some feedback, we'd know where our listeners were. Well, well you can, yeah, you, maybe. But, <laughs> or maybe they're selling us we have no listeners. But, James, I always like to... If you, if, you look, if you look at the stats for our podcast, John, there are listeners from all, the, what, all, all takes, corners of the globe. You won't believe how long it takes to download the, the podcast 5,000 times. Whilst you're crashed, you're using IP addresses in other locations. <laughs> Absolutely. So linking through, just to remind everyone, um, so this is about not misleading and this is about thinking about not being influenced by gifts, hospitality, etc. So we're picking up on eth- ethical behaviour, gifts and hospitality, which will then link us through to legislation and things like the Bribery Act. So that's yeah. that's where we're at to 1.2, 1.3. So 1.3, uh, members and firms identify actual and potential conflicts of interest throughout a professional assignment and do not provide advice or services where a conflict of interest or a significant risk of one arises, unless they do so in accordance with the current edition of Conflicts of Interest, RRCS professional statements. Well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's Conflicts mm-hmm. of Interest. Now, interestingly, just for those of you out there listening who are in the built environment, please do not mix up the Conflict of Interest guidance that is in the Black Book over the Conflict of Interest guidance, which is this professional statement. Yes. Um, I'm finding some candidates have mixed that up and don't okay. So, so yeah, but again, this adding to our list before obviously comes in our professional statement and reminding everyone a professional statement is a mandatory document for members and regulated firms. Um, so we need to comply with it and conflict checks, um, which is something that we should all do when we have new clients come on board just to make sure that we're not conflicted in any way. And funny you should mention that because 1.4 firms have effective processes to identify actual and potential conflicts of interest 
to enable appropriate decisions to be made on whether to accept work and to keep records of decision, decisions made about actual and potential conflicts of interest. Anyone would think I might have preempted that. They would, wouldn't they? Yeah, but no, that's quite right. So yes, I, I don't mean, believe it for one minute that you were. <laughs> no, indeed. Um, <laughs> but this, again, you see, there's a. I mean, does everyone do a conflict check? Is it until you get to a, a large enough size firm that you kind of think, oh, well, we ought to? Um, yeah, because I would say in most firms that I've worked in big multinationals and in smaller firms, and none of them, I would say, had a, had a proper conflict check process in place. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly enforced. There was obviously ways it means you would do it, and, and by nature of, of understanding that, you know, personally, understanding that I need to make sure that there's no conflicts um, with these things, and I would always check who the person is, you know, if there's any sorts of um, possible perceived conflicts or otherwise. Anyway, but um, it's something that I think probably a lot of firms don't necessarily have a very clear conflict procedure well, I, I think, you know, as your firm grows or you end up with satellite offices and things, it's quite a job as well. Not that I'm suggesting that's a reason not to do it. But if you think about it, sharing either maybe in today's day and age, there's better databases or systems because cloud systems that can talk and interact. Um, when I used to work for a very large corporate, it was very much a once a month, a spreadsheet from each office was sent over um, and, you know, uh, of, of who the clients were and the projects that were working on so that that could be checked and searched if any new projects came in. That, that was it pretty much. But I mean, as a system, it worked. So, but, you know, now... Yeah, I think now CRM pieces of software and, and databases and all sorts, it's probably uh, less laborious task than it used to be yeah and also also with the cloud-based systems things like google apps and all that where you can share documents so collaborate on documents i think that's another angle that could go can it so so yeah so i mean that's all pretty straightforward isn't it it is yeah, yeah. so 1.5 members and firms providing advice and opinion in a professional context do so honestly and objectively based on relevant and reliable evidence and firms have processes to ensure directors, partners, and employees do so. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I, I, I do come back to my comment that I made before, though. I find some of these a little bit just overly wordy. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, interestingly, I've um, I've done a I did an independent report for somebody. Um, a couple of months back or so, and uh, obviously I was appointed by the person, one of the two sides to the dispute, because this was part of a dispute that was happening. It wasn't an expert witness role, and there's potential that it might go down that route. It was very much an independent report. Um, and interestingly, the client came back to me after they'd read the report and said to me that, that because I, I explained I have to be impartial, my role is not whilst you're paying my fees, my duty is to be completely impartial and give you my expert uh, opinion on the matters at hand as I see them from a technical viewpoint. And so which I did, and, and I was very pleased when the client came back to me afterwards and said how they read the report and they could see that it was completely utterly independent and that it was clear where my opinion, where the facts were and, and how, it was, how it was based. So I was very pleased with that because it, it, it yeah. showed that the time I'd spent putting that report together and, and making it clear what I thought, and also trying to be completely impartial 
demonstrating the two sides to each argument or, or where there might be a point of contention um, worked. So I was quite pleased with that. But I think it's I think I think that's something that it's, it's purely it all comes down to ethical behaviour that does, and that's what we should be doing as child suppose. We should be impartial. We should be just offering our advice. There's lots of um, I think about the work that I do, your, your party wall work or dilapidations and things, and you always have. I mean, dilapidation is probably not quite the same thing in terms of how you're acting impartially, and that makes sure you're acting for one side or the other. But party wall act is a prime example because you have to be impartial. Expert witness work. You're supposed to be impartial. You have to be impartial. Your duty is to the court in that situation or the tribunal or whatever it is. So I, I think it is an underlying thing with everything that we do as child surveyors, and, and, and that's how we should behave. So I think it's um, an obvious one. I think it's clear, but that's purely all ethical behaviour and not really anything to do with. But then that comes back to honesty, act with integrity, comply with professional obligations, doesn't it? So yeah. you can see how that's a, a good example of that type of behaviour. And, and also firms have processes. So I, I kind of, on my little list of things I was thinking behind this, it was like, um, well, all right, so you've got, what about the, the role? This, I think, links into the role of your responsible principal. So some, you know, and I think that responsible principal role is someone who's going to be communicating with the firm and its employees and owners, et cetera, and reminding everybody, you know, if I was a responsible principal, I think I might have an internal newsletter that comes out every quarter reminding everybody of all their obligations and, and all the things and where the material was and the training information about it. And, you know, because otherwise people, people will forget. And I think, I think this is, this is part of that. I think this is going to link into the responsible principle into, well, into CPD training of staff, you know, it's that whole context. I think, I think it does become a, a, a situation where you want to probably look at having you know, where you've got a certain size to put them and you, you're a responsible principal and you want to be making sure because these things need to be complied with. And especially when these new rules come in on the 2nd of February, you're definitely going to be one to, if you're a business owner and you, and you are the um, responsible person, that you're going to really be wanting to get your staff trained up in these new rules in one, one context or another. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think and that's training yourself because you want to make sure that you're in these correctly, which is why this is quite useful. Obviously, my firm is small, but I am that responsible person, a responsible principal. So um, it's useful for me to go through these and understand them to make sure that all of my business transactions, it grants it's the way I behave, but it's useful to make sure yeah. that it's, uh, it's appropriate for and it complies with these rules. Yeah. when I'm a regulated firm. So we got to, so 1.6 then, uh, 1.6 states, members and firms are open and transparent with clients about their fees and services. Now, I've always looked at this one and go, what do you mean by open and transparent? I was going to say that because how can you, I'm not sure how you can not be open and transparent. Well, it's interesting um, because would you tell a client how you've made up or put that fee together would you talk about the percentages that you might be adding for different things would you talk about your overheads and and, and what the breakdown of those overheads are um would you talk about you know what your rates are for each of your members of staff i don't know it, it, to what extent I, what, I, I don't think you would and i don't, I don't think no. a client would be really interested in that so, i think the way i see it is i'm quite open about my services. So I do an appointment document for every single instruction that I have. That yeah. appointment document has all my has my fees in it. 
Yep. So I'll have fees for what I term the basic services, which is the scope of services that I put together, which details exactly what service I'm providing. There's always then scope for additional work potentially. So I have that as a separate scope of services, additional services that can be offered should they be required. Mm. And then in doing so, I will provide an hourly rate or a day rate for undertaking those services. So the client knows if they have, if that work is required, whilst they don't know exactly what the total is going to be, and I would agree that with them anyway, I would just say, oh, by the way, should that hourly rate, I would give them an indication. So I think it's about being open with them. And if you can quantify something, quantify it for the client. You don't want it. The client doesn't want to be in a situation not an open checkbook, is it? I think it comes down to that, really. I, I absolutely that's exactly where I was going I think that is exactly that you're not just going oh yeah it'll be 10 grand there is a breakdown to what it is and oh actually it's now 25 grand the client goes well how'd that happen well it doesn't matter it's just that's what it is you can't do that you have to you know it's about that ongoing ongoing communication isn't it of, of well there's the scope of services and that's the price and as you say, if you want anything outside of that, then we'll talk about it at the time and, and you'll get another document that says this is now. Yeah, this is what you're going to get for that. So I, I, that's the way I see it anyway. And that's what I try to do with all my clients. I try to make sure that they fully understand exactly what it is. Also, in today's day and age, because as you start reading through the rules a bit more, it starts going into things like internet, cybersecurity, all these sort of things. Um, what if there are extra fees or, uh, I mean, VAT as well? Um, I mean, taxation generally is net plus VAT, isn't it? But but what if there are hidden fees and stuff? Because, you know, online transactions, I mean, we do a lot of online transactions. Um, and and so we're using online systems that will take a percentage and everyone kind of goes, oh, OK. So uh, and you'll see some systems will add the cost of that onto the ticket or whatever it is, and then add VAT on on top of that as well. So you're thinking you're buying something for 10 quid and you're actually buying it for, you know, £15.50 or whatever. Well, hold on a minute. So I think one of the things we try and do as a business is all of our stuff on our website, wherever possible, is gross. And then it has a breakdown of the net plus fat figure. Uh, and we've made that as a, because we do a lot of transactions with individuals who don't have, who aren't VAT registered. So you've got to know the to- the, the, the big number you're paying. Um, rather than with corporates who go, well, what's the net figure? Because that's the bit they're probably... Yeah, when you're dealing business to business, then then that is is kind of not overly important. It's the net, net, net figure that they're worried more, more so about. But yeah, because I deal with... Um, my clients are both businesses and individuals um, or have been during the time I've had my business. And so I would always take a slightly different approach with businesses and with... I'm always clear that that is excluded but i will make it clear to those uh, individuals who are not maybe a business and they're paying me as a business they're paying as, a, as an individual you know as a consumer if you like mm. then i'll be clear with them what the that total is because that's what they want to know that's what they're paying ultimately yeah yeah it's, it's been interesting in, in in our travels um to different countries where they add tax on at the till um yeah. that's always well, yeah it's, it's this much well hold on a minute where that come from? Oh, well, it's four point four point whatever percent in this state. And it's like, well, over there, well, that's a different place, mate. That's not here. And it's just like, oh, okay, just go with it. Stop complaining. Yeah, I've always found that difficult when traveling. Yeah. So so it's, it's it's country. Country. It's like, oh, minute, that's not what I'm paying. Yeah. That's always said on the on the on the label. And I think that's maybe the uh demonstrating not being open and transparent, because if they were being open and transparent 
they would tell you this would be the price and you take it and you know you get the price. You don't need to know as the consumer in that situation that you're going to pay all these taxes. All you need to know is what the total price is. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just a cultural thing as well. Uh, yes, I think it probably is. If you grow up with it, it's the norm, isn't it? Well, yeah, and, and so that's that's worth noting, though, because, you know, we have surveyors across the globe and oh, absolutely. different rules and things and different, the way business is done is slightly differently. So I think yeah. that's important to yes. note. This is probably going to be different. We're talking about it very much as UK-based. And, and I think if you brought into this equation as well, Brexit and COVID and exchange rates and transactions like you say international transactions then then there's even more if you are working outside of your your normal you know location of, of being acutely aware of it and being up, up to speed on what what that's going to mean because again these can be things that could catch you out yeah so let's look at the next one then 1.7 members and firms act to prevent others being misled about their professional opinion what do you think about that I just think that comes back to one of the earlier ones that says you've got to make sure it's clear what you're saying. Don't mislead others by your actions, omissions, or being complicit. Oh, no, that's not it's quite the same, is it? Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, this comes up later on in other rules as well. It all comes down to being open and transparent, being honest. It's, it's about being clear. And, and I've, again, I've often said to candidates, I, I, I often joke about it. When you read a candidate's document, you go, oh, there's a word I've never heard before. Why are you using such a long word that I've had to go and look up in the dictionary? Maybe that's just my failing. <laughs> um, and, and when you could have used a such much simpler word that would have meant so much more, you know, and it's kind of like, it's not clever to use big words. <laughs> you know what, I, I used to work with somebody many, many years ago when I was a graduate and he used to, in writing reports and things, he, he was a health and safety man. So he, he used to write reports and stuff and he'd always try and he'd, he'd always have a copy of a thesaurus with him. And he'd try and drop in some really obscure word that meant something quite straightforward. Oh, you see, that that appeals to my... Because he found it amusing. Yeah, yeah. That appeals to my sense of humour. I, I could see me doing that, but then forgetting what the word meant and not understanding it myself again, having to go look it up. So you I think I would it. fail dismally. I used to think, what are you doing? You're making work yourself, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I love it when you do find... Uh, absolutely superb wordsmith who's got a fantastic grasp of our, our language and, and, and the art of writing things sometimes. You know? Yeah, sometimes the problem is you don't actually, they're speaking the same language, but you don't really understand what it is they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the reason why. And, and then are you not being um, honest? Are you not being open and transparent? Are you? Uh, it's absolutely carrying on the theme as we've seen before. Professional advice, and there's my calendar again, open and transparent and an integrity. I thought I'd turn my calendar off, but apologies for that. Um, so, okay, on to uh, 1.8 then. So 1.8, members and firms do not take unfair advantage of others, which to be quite honest, I think is a given. Is that, that's just, that's, know, just that's just a good moral code though, isn't it, surely? It absolutely is. That's just an upstanding member of society, which is what we would hope our members are. We would. There are obviously people out there who are not uh, demonstrated by, you know, things that, that, that large. Yeah. And also, you know, you, you can read our um, the regulatory um, publications that come out about various members who've been dragged over the coals for not doing things that they should have and, you know, and, and not applying these uh, these rules. Yeah. So. Not much more to say on that one, I don't think, really. So let's move to 1.9. Members and firms protect confidential information 
and only use or disclose it for the purposes for which it was provided, where they have the necessary consent to do so, or where required or permitted by law. And what do you think that might be all about? That's that. That's interesting, actually, because again, as we come on to later rules, and I'm sorry to keep bringing up as we look through these in the future, because the, the, there's too much to do in one go. But there, there is um, there's a, a rule a bit later on that talks about this and saying that you know it's important that you also ensure your clients understand that you might need to divulge some information for regulatory purposes. So that's you. Um, for RSS regulatory purposes, so that's you gaining their consent. But yeah, I mean, this this has always been a, a real a real interesting one. This one because what is client confidential information? Um, mm-hmm. And and I've always worked on the principle: if I can read it somewhere out there in the public domain. So if it's in a newspaper, a magazine, it's in a in in a published report. If it's online, if I can find it on the internet, it's not client confidential. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yeah, and if if you keep that very clean and clear break, I don't think you'll go far wrong. But yeah, I mean, this is you either get get clients' consent for you to disclose the information, or it's under under oath, isn't it? The rules. Yeah. Now, interestingly, the comment you were making there, because in my standard terms of business, I do have a, a statement in there about being an RSS regulated firm and the fact that I will retain information for a set period as I have to as an RSS regulated firm, yeah. it needs to be reviewed and it will be kept for those purposes. Yeah. And how just out of, long, out of interest, because I'm not an RSS regulated firm, how long do you have to keep it for? Oh, you know what? Off the top of my head, I cannot remember without going and having a look at is it, it. Is it the same as your accounts where you have to keep them for, what was it, seven years or something? I, 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 accounts go no, no, I, I will have to come back to you because I can't, immediately remember not exactly a problem. not a problem one for us to go and research and talk about another time but yes it's 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 very important that you you know people understand this so that you know if you are a regulated firm there are obligations that will, will which will um you know be relevant to this this one as well yeah uh, exactly so um moving swiftly on to uh we get up to hours, uh, so we're on one one point 10 or yep. 1.10 firms keep client money safe and have appropriate accounting controls well that's exactly one of the items that would be in appendix a isn't it so that's the client's uh, money protection scheme um and that's quite clearly laid out what you need to do and obviously i also that has um now in the past that used to have an audit uh, a three-yearly audit now i asked the question of this um, a while back because I hadn't seen anything written down about that and and now I think it's more a there is there is still an audit happening but it might be prioritized or or you know there's there's other criteria it's not just a blanket every three years um, it's kind of thought about and looked at slightly differently so so yeah I, I think it's another layer of, of regulation really isn't it we've got our standard rules and regulated firms and then if you decide to sign off valuations or hold clients money you've got the value registration scheme you've got the client's money protection scheme so yeah need and and from a candidate's perspective um they need to understand those schemes and what they mean and you know and the obligations under them whether you, whether you ever decide to keep clients money or not i mean as a quantity surveyor you wouldn't keep clients money in in the normal day-to-day the same 
Yeah, it's it's if you're managing it's property managers, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah, and you're collecting rent, rent basically, isn't it? And then you're using that rent to discharge sort of um, you know maintenance and and uh, and services etc. on behalf of your clients. So um, yeah, interesting um, how how this is kind of pulling all those sort of areas together. Yes, and the the next um, item really kind of covers the same thing in, in some respects. So 1.11, uh, members do not misuse client money and comply with controls intended to keep it safe. So again, referring to rules around client money. Yeah, yeah, it's just the fact it was on two different pages for us, but it's exactly the same, yeah. Yeah, and so the, the last um, example behaviour, 1.12, members and firms do not facilitate any financial crime, including money laundering, tax evasion, bribery or corruption, Firms have effective processes to prevent directors, partners, or employees from doing so. Yeah, but that brings back in the Bribery Act, which we'd identified right at the front end of, of these behaviours, but also money laundering regulations um, and anything to do with anti-money laundering yeah. uh, sort of requirements. And, and yeah, money, my clients' money and the misuse of said money. Yeah, and, and so that, that's rule one, really, and, and the yeah. example of behaviours, which we said to in our previous podcast, as it states in the rules, these are not exhaustive. Uh, but I, I, I would say, having gone through those, that I think they're fairly self-explanatory. I think they're quite obvious. Yeah. I, I, I still, coming forward from what we said in our introduction, I'm still of the view that these are fantastic, updated, ethical behaviours that are linking us to policy documents, professional statements, regulatory requirements which i think we need to make well, sure we're not uh, losing I, I think i think by nature of the fact that it states example behaviors these are exactly behaviors and not rules yeah how you should behave and then those behaviors as rule one as example behavior 1.3 sorry states and it refers back to conflicts of interest rss professional statement so yeah. all of these are referring back to. Yeah, I guess in some respects they could be clearer. But that one was quite explicit by actually stating certain yeah. documents. That one was very explicit, saying the RICS professional statement it was, and and they're not. And I think they could have probably, if you, you could argue that they could have been more explicit in yeah. well, things. You just have an appendix one, which is very broken down in detail, saying you know these are the documents that we would refer you to look at, which are covered by Rule 1. Yes, because so, I, actually, I think that that's probably the thing that's missing from the whole um, RSS rules, as they're called. They're, sorry, the rules of conflicts, as they're called. Which is where I'm you going. Know, it doesn't really. There's obviously all of these policy documents and all of these uh, professional statements and uh, guidance notes that we all as charter spares need to review and need to try and stick to. So I think we're obviously mandatory, some things are, are, are more guidance. But, you know, if you, even with a guidance document, if you aren't following it, you need a good reason why you're not following it. So, yeah. you know, if you find yourself in court of law, and I think there possibly could have been, with these rules, some linkage back to a lot of these documents and reference to where these things fit. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think that's, that's exactly where I'm coming from, because I'm looking at this going, how on earth am I going to assess this at the assessment? Because we've got five, ten minutes in that APC. I'm going to dip into one or one or I'm not going to do all five rules, 
I'm going to, like I do with the ethical standards now, I'll say to a candidate, you know, I'm sure you know the five. I don't want you to list them off for me. Frankly, that just means you can learn something rote. What I'm looking for is for you to pick one and explain what you understand it to mean. That's what I think I'm going to end up doing with these. I'm coming more to the point of going, right, well, I'm going to pick up on rule number one, or I'm going to ask the candidate to pick a rule and explain it to me and then ask things around it. I mean, my list, let me just go back through the list because we kind of mentioned along the way. So for rule one, I've got ethical behavior not to mislead, got gifts and hospitality, got bribery. So there's the first piece of legislation that comes in there. Professional statements. So we've got a mandatory RICS document in there. Got conflicts checks. We've got professional advice. Got open transparency, which is integrity. Um, Don't take unfair advantage. Confidential information. Clients money, which is a regulatory um, aspect. Money laundering, another piece of legislation. And tax evasion, which again would be you know, under sort of HMRC and VAT and corporate tax and uh, and things like that. Oh, interestingly, on the tax evasion front of things, one of the other things that has just newly hit was, um, which is again, it's a bit, it's a bit niche. Um, but have you come across the VAT, the domestic reverse charge? Heard of it. Yeah. Well, basically, it's quite simple. Um, insofar, well, it's not that simple, but it's quite simple insofar as HMRC is always looking for ways to make sure they're not losing out on the tax that they should be getting. Um, and, uh, and they're basically looking at a larger entity like a main contractor to pay the VAT. So in effect, the subcontractors get paid net because the main contractor is dealing with the VAT allocation back to HMRC. So, you know, tax evasion, bribery. I mean, it's always changing. I think the point is not to talk about reverse charge, but talk about the fact that these things are constantly changing and the legislation out there. And, and who, who's going to tell us these things if it wasn't for the fact that I fell across it a few months ago when it came out in March and saw an article and went, oh, I ought to go and read up on that and find out what that's all about. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I, I think there's there's an, some work to be done on this. And I'm certainly going to write something, once we've done all of these, I'm going to write something for assessors, just on the basis of, you know, as a, as a chair of assessors, and I've trained quite a lot of the assessors, about 7,500 of them, um, you know, here's some thoughts I've had on how I'm going to ask these, these competencies as a chair of assessors, because I don't think, I'm not convinced other chairs, it's even on their radar right now. Yeah, well, yeah, that's sort of an entirely different matter in some respect. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. I agree, but, you know, yeah. I think it's, I think it's an aspect of of this that is a byproduct of this that we need to think about how we how we um, educate our APC candidates as well. So, but yeah, no, yeah. And, and how we educate our assessors. Hmm. I mean, there's nothing in there that wouldn't be hard to comply with. It's just making sure. Um, and this bit, you know, what, what's seen as reasonable, uh, making sure that you are reasonably educated about all these other areas that sit inside conduct and regulation. Yeah, but I think that's, uh, I mean, we've called rule one, so hmm. we've got some more to go through. Some of them have less example behaviours, but we'll, uh, we will do each, each of the rules. So, yeah, so... And we're, what we'll do is we'll make sure we cover all these off and um, before they come into play in February. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, I, I will have them all done 
from the ABC Roadshow side of things before Christmas. So, uh, so absolutely. Yeah, the podcast may maybe not so, but that's because yeah. we've got a lot of material. But we will uh, cover them off and make sure that yeah. before uh, the end of January, we have gone through each of the rules. I think so off. too. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. And as always, you know, open and and to anybody else who wants to come on and have a chat about any of of these and give us their thoughts and views. And have we missed the point? Um, you know, uh, there's also. Um, there's also various, there's a webinar going on as well that the RSCS are putting on, so worth people going and finding that and getting yeah, which that is, watching um, the recording if they're listening to this afterwards. Sometime in the middle of November, yeah, if you listen to this afterwards, then uh, you've missed it. There must be a recording available, I would have thought, afterwards. So, uh, so yeah. Cool. I reckon we, we've done that one then, mate. Yeah, I think we have. Uh, I don't think there's any anything else to kind of talk about on that. No. So I think on that note, um, we ought to ethically wash our hands and face. And, and strangers and, and unethically don't <laughs> yes lick, lick any lick any strangers. Be ethical and do not lick strangers yes indeed yes that work that's the way your, your behaviors will be watched so licking strangers is not a good thing cool good on that note that's us done um and as always just to remind everyone please give us some feedback we'd love to be able to give a shout out and some names we do every so often get people who uh, give us feedback yeah, we'd like to have somebody every week every yeah it'd be lovely it'd be lovely to actually yeah, I, th- I think, I, I mean, I get a lot of feedback from people externally, you know, just in passing going, oh, it's great. You know, really, you made me laugh on that one or whatever it might be. It's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, put that in some feedback for us. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and when I say, I want to say shout out, I don't mean let us know it's your birthday and we'll shout out and say it's your birthday. That's not, it's not radio. It's not that we could, we could do that. If well, it's- I mean, we could do, but uh, it's not really what I had in mind. <laughs> Isn't it your birthday soon? My birthday is very soon. Yes, it will. By the time this podcast gets um, released, it, I will have had You'll my birthday. Had your birthday. Well, many happy returns. And what what does that was it about thirty three or something? That's it, John. Yeah, the big grand old age of, uh, of thirty, just thirty. <laughs> yeah, just just over thirty. <laughs> Cool. Excellent. Well, so fair few years. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I think I mentioned it, but go to servepod, S-U-R-V-P-O-D.com. Um, you can listen to all our back um, uh, episodes and on any of the uh, Apple podcasts, Spotify, all of those sort of things as well. So until the next time, mate, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolute pleasure as always. Thanks for listening, guys. And, yeah, uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Hello there, and thank you for joining us for our latest episode of the Severe Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget to subscribe at all your favorite podcast providers, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and so on. Also on Twitter and Instagram, at SurvePod, that's S-U-R-V-P-O-D. You can also get us on YouTube, click the subscribe button, and don't forget to click the little bell. It tells you when we post our latest content, and on our webpage, servepod.com. Don't forget to leave us your reviews, comments, suggestions, and of course, any questions. And finally, if you want to come along, join us at a future episode of the Surveyor Podcast, send us an email to servepod at gmail.com. If you like what you see in here, tell your friends, let's put surveying on the map. Stay safe, wash your hands, and don't lick any strangers. Bye-bye for now. The Surveyor Podcast is a copyright deliver and invoice limited production. We suggest you come up with your own ideas and not copy ours. Thank you. Catch you again soon. Bye-bye.